Drinking with Authors contains adult themes and subjects, including discussions involving alcohol. We ask if you are drinking along to please drink and listen responsibly. Enjoy the show. And let's begin. Welcome to Drinking with Authors. Um, I'm your host, Erica Lance, and with me today is... Valerie Willis, I'm back again. Hopefully you guys are excited. Uh, And then with us is our guest... Jeff Strand. I keep cheering as if there's an audience in the background that's going to somehow join in with me. (laughs) So I insist all listeners join in in their car cheering and everything like that for this podcast. I've got an audience here. I hire oh, okay. people to cool. just stand here and applaud every time I say something witty. So, Oh, oh that? Perfect, perfect, perfect. Um, and I have no doubt you'll be more witty than we will. So the first thing we usually discuss is what we're drinking. So I am drinking uh, gin and tonic with lime. I'm super fancy and aristocratic today. Super fancy. And Val, what are you drinking? Uh, well, I was drinking coffee until you came over with a whiskey bottle and did something to it. <laughs> So I guess whiskey, coffee with whiskey. I don't know what kind, uh, but it's, it's almost, honey jack. Honey jack. Is that what that is? Yeah. Oh, that's perfect. Yeah, we got to get you drunk to get, yeah, you, exactly. get you going. Okay, and Jeff, what are you drinking today? I am just about to crack open a delicious 16 fluid ounce can of Red Bull. Oh, <laughs> jump start. Jump start and bouncing off the walls in a matter of moments. The first time I ever tried Red Bull, um, I thought it would be a good idea. I was on a road trip, and I was falling asleep, and coffee wasn't working. And I'm like, okay, I'll try a Red Bull. Worst mistake I ever made because, yes, I'm like, I felt like my body was awake, but I wasn't paying attention to anything going on. I think the first time I experienced Red Bull was in a Jaeger bomb back when they first started coming out. Jaeger bombs? They taste like, uh, like NyQuil. Yeah, I agree. Or, Ye- or the Jaeger part. You're cringing. What yeah. about what about you, you, Jeff? Do you do you love a Jaeger bomb? <laughs> I've never had a Jaeger bomb, but, oh. but I've had a lot of energy drinks. So, oh, is Red Bull your favorite? Like, if we're ranking energy drinks? No, if we're ranking energy drinks, my favorite is Nose. Oh, and I also yeah. like uh, Full Throttle. I like pretty much all of them except for Monster. Oh, my husband would be upset with you. Your husband would be upset with him? Well, I don't I don't think that matters to Jeff <laughs> at all. And it shouldn't. Okay, we're here to talk about writing in books though and not yes. energy drinks. Although, just for the record, if you want to sponsor us, we'll have Jeff on all the time <laughs> give us on energy drinks. Okay. So oh, I will completely recant my view of Monster if they decide they want to sponsor the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you. We appreciate that. Okay, so Jeff, you are an author. I am. Do you want to tell us a little bit about the kind of books you write? I know what kind of books you write. We've been friends for a number of years. But the audience, uh, I've tried this whole psychically having the audience know what I'm thinking thing, and I haven't got it nailed yet. So you want to tell them a little bit about your work? I'm kind of all over the place. If I have to narrow it down, give a quick answer, I'm a horror author. That is, most of what I write is horror, usually with a lot of humor. So I'm also kind of known as a horror comedy guy, but some of my novels don't have as strong of a comedic element. I also have done uh, five young adult novels, which are just pure comedies. I've done a romantic comedy, a smut comedy, and... A couple of other things. But for the most part, I am branded as a horror author. 
I love the term smut comedy. I think that should be its own genre. It, it needs to be. Well, actually, it is. It's called humorous erotica. Humorous erotica. It's okay. A whole section on Amazon. I wow. would know because that's where my other pen names falls. Okay. <laughs> uh, I'm not going to even get into Valen or four thousand pen names. So let's um, let's talk about your whole writing. So, how long have you been an author? An author, my entire life. I basically started writing as long ago as I can remember, started submitting really, really early, but this was back when there were gatekeepers. So, you know, the stuff I was submitting as a high school student was stuff that sounded like it was written by a high school student. So it wasn't getting published. I think my first book came out in 2000. And what was your first book? It was uh, Grave Robbers Wanted, No Experience Necessary. Basically my first horror comedy, but not... Not the first book I wrote that got published. It was the basically once that one came out, I had like four books back to back and they were written at different times. Oh, wow. wow. What is the first uh, book like in sequence that you wrote that got published? In sequence, the first one is a fantasy comedy called How to Rescue a Dead Princess, which is okay. just a completely ridiculous spoof. And you can. Going back that far in my writing career, you can see me trying way too hard. Oh. Because I wanted it to be the funniest book ever written. So I wanted, you know, just joke, 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 joke. And so I kind of didn't, I wasn't as concerned that every joke had to land. I just wanted quantity. So there are lots <laughs> of bits quantity where it's like, quality of humor. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, I think it's a very funny book, but there's a lot. If I were to go back and reread it, which I hopefully never will have to do, <laughs> there's a lot of cringing because, you know, it was I, I don't want this book to just be a laugh on every page. I want this to be 10 laughs a page. I want this to be a laugh in every paragraph. And when you're doing that, you're not necessarily, you know, putting the appropriate jokes where they belong. You're just trying to cram as much stuff in there as possible. So was it like basically a fantasy stand-up routine? It was like a fantasy uh, Zucker Brothers movie. So it was like the <laughs> oh, the literary equivalent of Airplane, The Naked Gun. Just as many jokes as I could cram in there, but not done as well. Uh, well, I don't know about that. Okay, so then, um, but you uh, had a real job before you actually, like right now you get to be an author full-time, Correct. Correct. And you did, that was not always the case. I know everybody, I'm every, jealous. there's so many authors listening going, I'm jealous, but that wasn't always the case. No, I worked a completely generic corporate desk job for like 17 years and had other jobs before that. But this one I just kept for a really long time. And what would happen is every year would be, this is my last year. And then the next year, this is my last year. And then the next year, this is my next year. And then you start to think, maybe I'm going to be oh. here a while. But, <laughs> you know, it's because it's not just once, you know, the writing income equals the day job income. Then you have to pay for your own insurance. And, you know, there are definite challenges because, you know, when I work corporate desk job, every two weeks money appeared in my bank account and I knew how much it was going to be. And it was always there and it was wonderful. And now, you know, income fluctuates drastically. And, you know, I didn't have to email my boss and say, you know, hey, where's my money? Whereas with publishers and various other, you know, short stories and stuff, it, there's a lot of, hey, where's my money type stuff. Yeah. So. 
Wow. See the under the underbelly of the publishing yeah, world the that no one thinks about. But it's it's true and it's something to think about because you get used to certain things and I it was it was interesting because um I was talking to Val actually the other day about what problems do you want to have? So when you're a full-time writer, everybody wants to be a full-time writer that is a, most people want to be a full-time writer that's writer Eric Deckers. But um <laughs> uh shout out. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know if that's a shout out, but um the thing that you end up with is that you have to think about what the problems are that come with whatever your goal is. And it's Mm -hmm. interesting that you said that because I think a lot of um, want to be full-time authors don't think of the fact that you don't get a steady paycheck and the royalties can vary depending from month to month and you can have great months. And then I'm sure you have some interesting months, you know? And and I, I get asked this question all the time, like, what does it take to be a full-time author? And I'm like, well, first you have to, be selling enough books to even think of it as a full-time job. And two, you have to be ready to run a business because that's what essentially you're doing. You're trading in your day job to be self-employed as a business. And it just so happens to be that business is your entity as an author. Very true. Fun uh, fun parts. And I have to be prolific because, you know, my gosh, you write so many books. How do you do it? It's like, it's my day job. I don't have a choice every you know, if I don't write a lot of books, I will be right back behind a desk saying, oh, this sucks. Yeah. I'm so talking. it's, you know, being a full-time writer is better than not being a full-time writer. It's just, it's not the life of leisure of, you know, wake up at noon, tap out at the keys for a few <laughs> minutes. If the muse hits, have it's some champagne, line. relax by the pool, and then, you know, watch Netflix for eight hours. Smoke so. a stogie. Yeah. <laughs> Prop your feet up. Yeah, yeah, no. So, do, anybody out there that believes that's the life of an author? <laughs> no. Eh. So, let's talk a little bit about um, your genres. So, you've written since you were much, much younger. Obviously, comedy is the theme throughout. What made you decide to go into horror? Well, I was a horror fan. It just wasn't really what I was writing. And I, what I was doing when I first started finishing books that I thought were publishable was just switching different humor genres. So I did a fantasy comedy. I did a mainstream comedy. I did a romantic comedy. And then I thought, well, I'm going to do a mystery comedy. I'll do, you know, the smart-ass detective series. So I started writing um, the first book in my Andrew Mayhem series, which was Grave Robbers Wanted, No Experience Necessary, which ended up being a lot darker than I had intended. And Basically, I didn't think of it as a horror novel. I thought of it as a sort of a dark comedy thriller. But that was the first one to come out, and people said, oh, he writes horror comedy. I thought, hey, I like horror comedy. That's all right. And then my next three books came out, and they were all different genres of comedy. But I thought, you know, if I'm going to make a living at this at some point, I need a more specific brand. I don't want to just be comedy all over the place because, you know, if you go to your book. Sh- if you go to a bookstore, the mm-hmm. humor section is not novels. The humor section is nonfiction and, you know, it's like comic strip books. collections and stuff. So there, if you're writing comedy and you're not having a more focused subgenre, it's really hard. You know, at the time, you know, you were totally focused on um, bookstore sales, not so much now. So it's like, well, I need, you know, a spot in the bookstore. So you, you know. Um, people who 
do humor tended to be, you know, mystery comedies or um, romantic comedies or, fan, you know, humorous fantasy, you know, whatever subgenre they pick. So I thought, okay, I need to do that too. So I did, I said, I'm going to be a horror comedy author. So I did a few of those and then I thought, well, maybe I'll try a um, serious horror novel, which was Pressure. And that ended up being my best selling book. So then suddenly it's like, oh, okay, now what do I do? So I, now I just kind of, I don't veer too far from horror for more, you know, I never do more than one book in a row that's not horror because that's what the fan base wants. That's what currently keeps me writing full time. But then I like to do, you know, one-offs where it's like, okay, let's see what happens if I do a romantic comedy. So I wrote the book Kumquat. And then... <laughs> I'm pretty sure my neighbor who has one of those trees in her front yard would appreciate that. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. So then, you know, I did that and then I went back to horror and then I did bang up my smut comedy and then back to horror. So, you know, I'm, I identify as a horror author. I did the five young adult comedies and those were traditionally published most of my stuff these days is self-published but those are you know the standard go to your bookstore and pull them off the shelf deal yeah but yeah for the most part it's horror um do you think because you were saying earlier that you you were a big avid reader of horror do you think that had a lot to do with why those are more successful for you because you read the genre you were writing in all of a sudden i think Probably, I don't know that it, because like Kumquat didn't sell great, but it's actually one of the best reviewed books. I think it's the one that people who will actually read a romantic comedy from me think it's one of my best books. But from a marketing perspective, you know, I'm friends with horror authors. I read horror, so I know where to get the word out. Mm-hmm. Whereas when I do a you know romantic comedy, I don't actually, you know, I'm not as good at the marketing standpoint no that makes so sense it's you harder all under your 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 name out. are they all yeah. under jeff yep they're all under my name which probably you know in retrospect if i could go back come caught would have been done under a pen name because if you go on amazon every single review is jeff strand doing a romantic comedy what which yeah. so <laughs> they get very said about that for some strange reason yeah so you know the reviews were all great but it's all wow i was surprised i like this so if you're a romance reader and every review is wow i was surprised i like this that's not necessarily a selling point no no probably not <laughs> <laughs> you know if there's a horror novel that comes out and it's oh my gosh i can't believe this author of cozy mysteries did something so dark that's not you know i'm gonna think well i'll read something by someone who actually is you know, known for the horror genre. No, that totally makes sense. Yeah. Marketing is, is difficult. And if you don't niche it, and that's why a lot of authors have gone to having multiple pen names. So yeah. it's interesting to hear that you didn't take that route and now you sort of have uh, a regret. And I think as a writers, we always have like that regret moment uh, where we rush through something or we didn't slow down and stop and think about it. So, uh, is there something that you struggle with other than marketing when it comes to your writing in your books? Hmm. I'm sure there is. I'm blanking right now. Mostly it's like, um, I've, you know, I still want to 
keep trying different things, keep trying to branch out. I would probably be doing better if, you know, I had a more specific niche where it was, you know, hey, I've now got 15 installments in my series or whatever. The other thing I have done wrong is waiting too long between installments of a series because I tend to um, focus more on original books. So mm-hmm. my Wolf Hunt series, which Wolf Hunt 1 was one of my best-selling books, but it was four years before Wolf Hunt 2 and then five years before Wolf Hunt 3. And you can kind of see the sales impact of handling it that way. Series work better if you're you know, on a consistent schedule. Well, I think that's true with um, any, because, you know, people get any books like that. People get to the end of the book and then they want to hit buy for the next book. They at least yep. want to be able to pre-order the next book. Like, cause, and that's how a lot of this, um, in, I think, instant gratification is is at. Because it used to be you went to the bookstore and you bought a book or you went to the library and you checked out a book and you took it home and you read it. And then you're like, oh, I want to go see if they have another one. And then you go back down there hoping that there's another one on the shelf. Loving that there's pre-orders now, but you have to almost, as an author, put that pre-order up as soon as you're done with that book so that they can, when they get done with that, hit the next go button. Yep. And I'm always kind of like, okay, I've just done my next Wolf Hunt book. Now what completely different kind of thing can I write? I try not to duplicate myself too much, which is not good for a series but it's perfectly good if you're doing just original stuff. What has surprised you about when you're, when you're putting up the books, have you put up a book and it's just taken off and you've gone, wow, that's, I, I didn't think that would happen the way it did. And then the reverse of, did you put up something you thought would be like gangbusters and it went, uh. yeah, yeah. I have in the past at this point, I've got kind of, you know, I have a, large enough backlist that I kind of know what's going to work and what's not going to work. And so like I knew based on Wolf Hunt 2, I knew Wolf Hunt 3 was not going to be a massive stellar success, but I wanted it out there for the people who really liked the first two Wolf Hunt books. I think you know, if I do a horror novel, it's going to be successful. I've At this point, I've got enough of them out there. If I do, you know, blood camp or whatever, that will... <laughs> That will sell at a level that keeps me from having to slink back to my old day job. A lot of time, so it's either I know for sure or I have no idea. Like, you know, when I did the romantic comedy, it's like, well, you know, the book is not that much different from my other stuff. You know, there are no decapitations or anything, but it's the sense of humor is there and kind of my writing style. I didn't, you know, if you said, hey, which horror author do you think wrote Kumquat? I think people could probably identify it because it's very definitely a book that I wrote. But I didn't know. It's like, okay, will my fan base go into the world of romantic comedies with me? And the answer is no. But you know, it could have happened. So No, it, it's true. And I'm willing to bet some of your fan base did. Some of them yeah. are going to be cross-genre and think it was the greatest thing. It's just not the majority, but I love that you can say the words fan base. You do have a fan base that's fairly large, which not a lot of authors, especially Mm -hmm. India authors can necessarily claim to having. So do you listen a lot to what your fans are saying in regards to what you're going to write next? Do they impact that at all? 
generally they don't because people aren't saying, hey, when are you going to write a mummy novel or that kind of thing? For the most part, it's when's your next horror novel coming out? And they don't care that much about the subject matter or I ignore them because they say, when's the next Andrew Mayhem novel coming out? And, you know, it'll be there will finally be a fifth one, but it has been a really long time. So I generally, you know, because if I listen, if if everything I wrote was based on demand, it would just be the series books over and over because that's what people specifically request. Otherwise, no one is saying, hey, when are you going to write a book about a woman with telekinetic powers, which is my next book, Allison, which may be out by the time this goes up. But, um, you know, so I, you know, you pretty much just I'm trying to write the stuff that people enjoy, you know, so I'm not doing bait and switch type stuff. So I'll right. do different genres, but if I do a different genre, it's going to be kind of in the same style. It's going to have the same, hopefully entertainment value. I'm not going to suddenly do just a right. really serious, slow, ponderous type book. I'm going to do the kind of book that people enjoy. If I went with the slow, serious, ponderous, then I would change my name because that would be something that the fan base wouldn't enjoy. Have, so, you, have you thought about doing something like that at all? No. Nope, I enjoy the kind of stuff I write. So, No, well, that, that's cool. Oh, sorry. Yeah, no, no um, and, I, and I was going to say, um, so you have a fan base, and like this is like the, the question that a lot of indie authors have, and I have my own fan base as well. Uh, but I find that, surprisingly, it's newsletters that keep my fan base active. Is it the same with you, or have you found another way to interact with your fan base? It, it's a combination of newsletters and social media. <laughs> newsletters are great because they um, – get to the readers you know they're not whereas social media if you don't happen to check twitter at the right time you're not going to see my hilariously insightful tweet and you're not going to see <laughs> facebook stuff if the algorithm decides no you don't get to see that particular post so newsletters are good because if they subscribe they will get it and i every issue of my newsletter has a new original short story which lets me promote it as instead of, hey, read the new newsletter so that you can see links to buy my stuff. It's, hey, get the new newsletter and then you'll see a new flash fiction story. So it's easier to promote that way as content instead of marketing, even though ultimately marketing is the reason for the newsletter. No, that's very cool. So, um, you know, you, tell us a little bit about the book that you have coming out. It's called Allison. It's called Allison. It was originally called Hazel. Ooh. And as far as listening to fan, because Hazel to me was a good title. So I posted a quick quote from it. And then on Facebook, people were posting pictures of Hazel the maid from the 60s sitcom that I'd never heard of. Hmm. And I thought, I can't have Hazel the Maid jokes coming up every time I'm trying to market this book. So I know <laughs> it was astounding how long it took to, you know, I know I, I knew I wanted a female name as the title. And it was amazing how long it took to come up with Allison. But ultimately, that's what it is. It's about a 45 year old woman who has psychic powers that basically she can they only work on other human beings and basically she can break people. So, Oh wow. Which is, right. it went really bad when she was 10. And so now she kind of 
not a complete hermit, but she can't get close to anyone because she can't control it. So she sort of lives in a forced isolation, you know, kind of unhappy because if if she gets too happy or too scared or intense emotion, bad things can happen to people around her. So she just doesn't stay around people. And then something else bad happens and that launches off a novel of horrific intensity. Horrific intensity. Horrific. I like that. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. Um, okay. So then I have a, a, a follow-up question. Do you often um, start writing something and then chuck it? Do you ever find that to be the case? Where you... Yeah. All the <laughs> yeah. time. I like to say my hard drive is littered with the corpses of abandoned manuscripts. I, I, a lot of times what will happen is if I'm trying to sell it, you know, to a publisher or something, you know, you do the three chapters and a synopsis. And if that doesn't work, a lot of times I don't go back to it. So I have a whole bunch of three chapters and a synopsis remnants. But yeah, I don't, I am definitely not a, I will see this through to the end, no matter what, if I'm, you know, for whatever reason, it's not always how this sucks. It can be going perfectly well, but then I'll get sidetracked with another project and then my enthusiasm just isn't there when I return, even though it was a perfectly good set of chapters. But yeah, I have lots and lots. I could, yeah, I have plenty of unfinished manuscripts. So we can, you know, eventually upon your death, have the lost works of Jeff Strand. Yeah, lost works of Jeff Strand. No, I'm going to go try to finish that. <laughs> He's going to have a, someone's going to be mentioned in the well, please delete my hard drive. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to do the Terry Pratchett thing where there's a big, big ceremony where they run a steamroller over the laptop, destroying all of the oh, unfinished man. manuscripts. Wow. That's I'll be there. I'll be. I'll be there. I'll do a toast. Yeah. Well, that that also brings up. Uh, I'm a big fan of especially Good Omens by Neil Gaiman and Terry Pratchett. Um, do authors like that inspire your own work? I try not. I'm not generally specifically inspired. I just, you know, you like to read. And when you read a good book, it puts you in the mood to write a good book. And if you read something that's, you know really, really good. You're like, wow, I need to step up my game. So hmm. from that standpoint, you know, if I, you know, if I read an author, I really enjoy, you know, if I read Dennis Lehane, I kind of, maybe I'm a little bit more conscious of what I'm writing. Cause I need to, you know, keep it up to a really high level if I'm going to compete. Do you think that, um, you know, speaking about a writing level, you, you talked a little bit about this, but when you look at your past work, do you do you do a lot of reading of your past work besides when you're asked to read at a group? Are there like specific books you'll read versus going back to the beginning stuff? No, I'll never. The only reason I ever go back is, you know, if I'm doing a new edition of it, maybe I'll go back and do a polish of it. If I'm, you know, like I did a screenplay adaptation of one of my young adult books. So I obviously had to reread that, but for the most part, once it's published, I'm done with it. There's no reason for me to go back and look at my old stuff. I know uh, there was a video on Facebook from Anne Rice and someone had asked her a similar question. And one of the things she asked was, uh, or her response was, 
when I look at those older pieces, I consider where I was in my writing career and what I knew. And for that version of me, that was my best work. Do do you, is that sort of how you get yourself over that hump of the temptation? Well, there's actually, there's just no temptation. I don't see any particular value in going back. I think maybe at some point it would be fun to go way back to the unpublished bad stuff and say, wow, that was, boy, have I come a long way since then. But as far as the published books, you know, you know, I did the book Sick House a few years ago. There's no, mm-hmm. there will, ne- unless someone says, hey, we want you to write the screenplay, there's no motivation for me to go back and read that one. That's awesome. It's kind of like, you know, I, if the book is done, I have more books on my to be read pile by other authors than I could finish if I did nothing but read until I died after a really long life. So it's like there's no reason for me to go back and read my own stuff. I envy that. And, of course, I know freaking Erica is going mad because George R. R. Martin's taking so long on his next I don't want to book. talk about it. He gets no more, no more time for me. But <laughs> we're going to do this. We're going to take a quick couple-second break here for you guys out there, and we will be right back with Drinking With Authors. Hey, thank you for listening to Drinking With Authors. We wanted to let you know that if you're an aspiring author out there and you'd like to be on our podcast, you can email us at drinkingwithauthors at gmail.com. Or if you guys have a question, comment, want to tell us some little tidbit of interesting news, you can always direct message us or comment on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. We love that you're listening. We love that you're out there. And we look forward to hearing from you. We're back. Okay, so, um, Jeff, one of the things I want to talk to you about is writing scary stuff. So, I'm a horror author as well. Val is not. Um, that's one of the genres she doesn't write. But, but so I she do can, host... No, no, just shut up. Nobody wants to hear about you writing <laughs> I host a dark humor piece. No, shut, no, shut it. Okay. So, <laughs> Jeff, let's talk about writing scary scenes. Do you ever get to a point where you, I, I don't want to say almost scare yourself, but does it get intense enough that you have to walk away? I've had that a couple times myself where I've written something just so horrific actually and terrible usually about the person not the the gore in the scene that i have to get up and walk away from the computer for a couple minutes do you ever run into that no i don't and i also don't make myself laugh so i'm writing stuff that i think (laughs) is funny but i'm never like oh oh, boy that was a jolly good joke so (laughs) i'm a little probably too focused on the technical aspects so when i'm writing you know a scary intense scene I'm really focused on the language and, you know, okay, is this word choice better than this word choice or whatever? So I'm not ever um, that, you know, I don't say, oh my gosh, I'm disturbing myself. And I also (laughs) tend not to do long binge writing sessions. I tend to write in short bits. So I'll, you know, knock out half a page and then switch something else and knock out another half page. So I'm kind of writing in bits and pieces throughout the day. So I'm not, you know, one of those people who, you know, does the eight hours of writing where they're just so intensely in the grip of their project that, you know, they feel the characters that they become what they're writing. I'm kind of, you know, I'm really focused on the technical. 
Yeah. Like method actors, you're not a method author. <laughs> and I feel I feel called out. I I was crying while writing a scene the other day, and I had to walk away. <laughs> oh my god! I'm goodness. emotional. I love my characters. No, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it. That's probably the better way to do it. It's just not the way I do it. Well, I don't know. There's actually, the better way successful in your writing is amazing. So I I think it's just sort of. Also, different actors do that different ways, different, you know, stand-up. Right. I'm more the British actor type of writer where it's all craft and technical. And the Americans are the ones saying, I have to stay up for three days to look like I stayed up for three days. That's true versus you go into the makeup tent and go, make me look like I stayed up for three days. (laughs) No, that's true. So that's interesting. So talk a little bit about your process. Like when you get the idea and from there, are you a plotter? Do you plot or do you pants? It actually varies per book. Now, in some cases, I don't have a choice. Like I used to write for leisure books. Mm-hmm. So their horror line, and they made me, you know, it's like, if you want the book contract, you're sending us a full outline. And for my young adult books, I had to do a full outline. So in some cases, it was, you know, mandatory. It wasn't my choice. When I do my own stuff where I can choose the full process, it kind of varies based on how much I need to do for the book. Like the book Sick House, I knew that there was a big twist turning point halfway through so i kind of knew what that was but i didn't know that much between the two halves i kind of i know i need to get to this point and then i know i need to get to the end but i didn't work it out that much between there whereas my book um my pretties has kind of more of a mystery element Mm-hmm. And that one I needed to work out in quite a bit more detail. So I didn't do a full outline, but I had pretty extensive notes. And the book I'm working on, Allison, also, I knew the big turning points. And I had a – what I'm kind of doing with that one is a couple chapters ahead doing a full outline. So I can tell you you know, everything that happens for the next two chapters, but maybe not as much past that beyond the major um, – turning points. So it kind of depends a lot. I'm, I, I'm not the kind of author who will sit down and just say, I have no idea where this book's going to go. Let's see where the journey takes me. I kind of have to have at least the ending and the major points, but I'm also not someone who has a, you know, 25 page detailed chapter by chapter outline before they start writing the first word. I'm kind of in between. If you said, are you a plotter or a pouncer pantser? You have to say for sure. I would say plotter, but it's like on the on the verge of plotter. So you're like one step into plotter off the pants or line. Right. Yeah. yeah. I yeah. call us the yeah. outliners because we, we know what key points we want because I'm the same way. I have those key events I know that have to happen and what happened. And sometimes a key point between uh you know, uh, point A and point B, but usually it's the characters who tell me where things are going. And then sometimes they do things and I'm like, you bad children, what are you doing? This is not what we had planned and discussed prior. Do you ever, have you ever had a character derail your efforts? I don't have the character. I, there was some author and I can't remember who it was. And I'm probably going to screw up the quote. I should probably just abandon this whole thing. But you basically said some some characters tell their authors what to do, but my characters are galley slaves. And (laughs) 
<laughs> so I don't have in the same way that I don't like laugh at my own stuff and I don't get scared of my own stuff. Yeah, it's not like the character told me what they're doing, but I certainly change direction and say, you know what, this, this is a better choice for this character. They wouldn't do it. It, what I had written down for them to do in the outline doesn't match what I think they would do in this moment. And so I change it, which is probably the same thing. But. Well, I don't, I don't know. It's actually, I think it's, it's very interesting because when you talk about writing, it sounds like you're very, very much in control of the story and the, where you're going with it and what you're trying to obtain. And I think there are some writers that let their imagination go. Like I've talked to several well, happens to be one of them. So, um, but like even Amanda Bird, who was on her characters, pretty much rule her life in, in in her mind and tell her what to do on writing, which is an interesting way of looking at it because I think that you know it's kind of like again we've kind of make a joke, but now you might have standardized this for the podcast, Jeff. The the method author versus you know the normal the author, yeah, yeah, the one that's so structured and has to do it that way and also has to have. Do you do you feel like you have to have the ambiance set up correctly? Like when you're doing this in your writing process, are you in a quiet room? Can do you have to have the lights a certain way? Like is there all of that that goes into what you're doing? Nothing beyond needing quiet. You know, I can pretty much write anywhere as long as it's quiet. And my preference is to write outside. I like to just sit out in my backyard with my laptop. Unfortunately, I moved from Florida to Georgia, so it's generally too cold or it's raining. We've had just nonstop rain for the past month, so I haven't really been able to do my preferred sit out in the sunny yard and work from there. So it's pretty much I sit at the either sit in a recliner and work or sit at the dining room table and work. None of that matters, but I do need quiet. I'm not someone who can write with distractions, and I don't have music on when I write. I pretty much just write to silence. Well, and that's interesting because different writers have different. And I found, like for myself, I have to have. I do listen to music because mm-hmm. otherwise, I hear the noises of the house and the cats and all that, and I can get distracted by that. But I found that I have to have the right kind of mood music to write. Like I can't be listening to upbeat pop music or something when I'm writing my horror books because Mm -hmm. it just doesn't get me into the right headspace. See, and I'm the type that I can literally, and my husband and my friends uh, can vouch. Sometimes my husband's in the dart league, so sometimes he's like, come on, honey, let's have a date night. And we get there, and he's like in a blind draw. And I'm like, I'm not going to see you for the next four hours. So I always carry my laptop wherever I go, and I'm there in a noisy bar with all this commotion, and I do better bird count than if I was at home with the kids circling me. So, yeah, no, I, I could totally see that be the case. So um, what, you know, we talk about you being a full time writer. What do your fans because you do a lot of talking and you've emceed several awards. Do you have fans come up to you and what do they talk about? Well, I have um, mostly I'm doing horror events. So, you know, one of the things I've learned because I used to you know, people come. Wow, I really loved your latest book. And you try to be self-deprecating because you don't want to say, well, thank you. I loved it, too. <laughs> but the proper answer is thank you. I'm glad you enjoyed it because I, you know, if you joke around too much, I discover when other authors do, it's kind of annoying. You'll say, "Hey, I really liked your latest book." Oh, I'm sorry. 
Like, oh yeah, no, that's yeah, not no, good. no. And it doesn't work. So you just, you know, the proper answer is thank you. But yeah, it's generally horror events. So you get horror fans coming up, and it's pretty easy to strike up a conversation because I know the genre pretty well. You know, I've gone to other things like I um, went to a romance writers conference because I was with um, Leisure Books, which was part of Dorchester. And so I was part of their horror line, but Dorchester was big in romance. So I thought, well, hey, my marketing person's going to be there. I'll go meet her, even though this is a romance convention. And there it's a little bit harder because, you know, how does that culture people that everyone knows? I don't really know. Same thing with going to a. YA event where they'll throw out the name and you're supposed to know. It's like if you go to a horror conference and someone's like, oh, I've never read Stephen King. Like, really? Why are you even here? And so I become the really? Why are you even here person when I veer too much from the horror events? But do you have, have you ever had anybody dress up as one of your characters? I've had, no, I've had a weird thing where this lady emailed me and said, hey, I hear you used to go to Bowling Green State University. It's like, yeah. It's like, could you tell me the places you hung out and I'm going to do a feature where I go to each of them and we'll see how much they've changed since you went to college. So I'm like, oh, that's cool. Sure. So I gave her a list. And what she did was, because I had an author photo where I'm in a red shirt and she basically wore the same shirt did a fake mustache, (laughs) did her hair and took pictures at all the places. And it was, I thought it was funny. Other people, including my mom thought it was mildly creepy. Yeah, no, I would go obsessed fan number one right there. Yeah, number one fan right there, Jeff. Good job. I don't have one of those yet. Now I'm jealous. (laughs) I wouldn't be jealous of that. That's not a thing you want to be jealous of. That's like a misery statement. (laughs) What was, what did she say her favorite book was? Be very careful not to do bad things to those characters. Yeah. So, but as far as dressing up as the characters, one of my, um, I'm very much an Elmore Leonard type writer in terms of description so it's i'm not you know i'm not someone who's going to spend two pages describing the characters in great detail which means that you don't get a lot of cosplay because if you're saying what does andrew mayhem look like well he's in his mid-30s he kind of dresses poorly and he's got brown hair and okay where do we go from he's there so, college student yeah, so it's because of my kind of, you know, lack of really intense descriptions, you can't really dress up as the characters in a way where I would say, oh, my goodness gracious, that person's dressed just like Andrew Mayhem. Because I couldn't, you know, when people, the question that comes up a lot is, who would you cast in your movies? And my answer is always, I have no idea. And then someone will say, well, what about this actor? And I'm like, yeah, I can see that. But I never... I'm not someone who has pictures of actors, you know, stuck to their wall so that I can use that as reference for what the characters look like. I don't generally have a good image in my mind of what they look like. I'm more focused on their personalities and stuff. So no no one has ever dressed up like them. Here's a question for you, because you kind of dropped, you know, who they would play, you know, who would play your characters in a movie. Have you been approached to to do a movie or Netflix series or is that something you aspire to have eventually? There is tons of stuff and it's 
most of it is you're not allowed to talk about it, which is maddening because there's <laughs> actually really cool stuff going on with a couple of them. But it's always, you know, I'm not allowed to say a word about it. So um, there is, the one that they did announce is that I wrote the script for an adaptation of my novel, The Greatest Zombie Movie Ever, which is a young adult comedy about some high school kids who get together to make the most amazing zombie movie ever and everything that could possibly go wrong does. And so that was one of the few times they said, would you write the script? And I said, I sure will. And that's a Canadian production company that's done a lot of um, children's entertainment. So they are in the early, I've sent them the script. They're happy with the script. I'm sure they will come back and say, now change this and this and this and this and this. But that's where that one stands. Is I so in short, we should all be watching you very closely. We should all be, be like Jonathan post- Mayberry soon enough. <laughs> yeah, I posted concept art. They did. They had a um, person do four pieces of artwork for it, which was pretty cool. And for the most part, it's I'm not um, involved in the process at all. So there are other books where they had other screenwriters write it up, and those are in various stages none of them have hit the stage where i get the big paycheck and none of them have hit the stage where there is actually a camera being turned on but so it's one of those i kind of have to focus on the books because i'll go insane because when you get the option contract it says you know here's how much money you're going to get if the actual movie makes and just oh my gosh that would be so so great but you can't think about that because it's out of my control and so i have to focus on the stuff that I can control. I did write a script for a short film called Hostel that mm. I just saw. It's actually really good. Probably It'll probably have had its world premiere by the time this goes up, because in the world of when we're recording this podcast, next Friday I'm going to be in Houston at the Alamo Draft House doing an event, and they're going to show the short film that I wrote. And from there it'll go to the... Um, film festival circuit hopefully but um that as far as actual produced stuff i wrote a segment of a horror anthology that no one ever saw called creepers i wrote the gave up the ghost segment of that which i thought turned out really well and i'm really happy with how hostile turned out that was directed by a guy in canada called named uh brett kelly so the short films are out there but as far as the feature film stuff it's like just wait and Every time my email goes off, like, this could be it. But. <laughs> You're almost there, Eric. We're right on top of that. Yeah. So it's it's interesting. When somebody goes to opt your book, um, how do you feel about somebody else writing the screenplay for it? I usually don't care because the book is the book. So no matter how different it is, I get to say, yeah, well, here's, you know, the book. I, I'm... I've been doing this long enough that I know it's going to change. You know, you want it to be good. You want it to be as close to the book as possible. But even when I do my own, you know, I adapted my own book and you, you have to change stuff. You can't do a completely loyal version. You have to say, oh, man, that five page sequence is one of the funniest things I've ever written. But it needs to be half a page because they're not going to do a four hour movie based on this funny book for kids <laughs> so you know it's like if they would say jeff we'd like you to write every script i would say that's wonderful but they don't they generally it's here sign this contract take your option fee and don't bother us so 
Now that makes sense. That's interesting. Well, it'll be very cool to see your um your short play come uh, your short, short screenplay film. come into play there. So one of the th- questions I had that I think I'm going to be able to recall a little bit of gin happening in my brain right now, mm-hmm. but is um you oh where did it just go? Okay, Uh-oh. you talked a lot about what it really takes to be a published author and out there, and we talked about that a little bit before. But how many books were you at published? Um, I know the answer to this because I got to listen to you talk on it. But just to give a reality to authors, how many books were you at when you finally got to walk away from day job? Oh, geez, probably about thirty. It was a lot. What happened? The basically what happened was I started, you know, as small as you can possibly get. So I was doing eBooks back when everyone hated eBooks, and I had always said I will never self-publish because back when I started, you didn't self-publish. Self-publishing was you know, the worst thing you could do. That meant you were not a real author at all. And so finally, you know, I graduated up to small presses and then to better small presses. And then, you know, that magical day I got my mass market book contract. So it was like, that is the real deal. My book is in bookstores. If you go into a Barnes Noble, there it is on the shelves. It's a nice little mass market. It is by anyone's definition, a real book, but the advance was really low. And when I sold my second book, the advance was also really low. And it was like, okay, there is no future here where I get to be a full-time writer. And it's like, but I guess I just have to accept that. And then um, with the third, can I, around this time, self-publishing was starting to become more legitimized. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I was like, that's not what I do. I'm not, no, I'm trying. I didn't work this long to get real quote unquote, real book contracts to waste my time, um, you know, with self-publishing. So then the third book that was supposed to be from Leisure Books was Wolf Hunt. And about three months before it was supposed to come out, you know, we had a cover. It had been edited. Review copies had gone out. And Leisure announced that they were shutting down. So the book was, so I was like, oh, man. So like, okay, this is a werewolf book. Do I want to spend two years trying to get this werewolf book to another publisher? Or should I just self-publish it? Because how much of a stigma can there be when I've already promoted that it's coming out from a major publisher? I thought, you know what, I'll do it. I'm just going to self-publish it. My wife, Lynn Hansen, had... That you know, she said, "Well, let me try to do the cover." Now she's a extremely successful, prolific cover artist. Then she hadn't really done anything, but she Amazing. thought, "Let's let's try it." Mm-hmm. So she did a good cover for Wolf Hunt. We put it out, and I suddenly realized that when you're taking, you know, at this point, I had two mass market books out, so I had, you know, that audience, and I realized, wow, right. when you go, when you take. That audience from 6% royalties to 70% royalties, suddenly <laughs> suddenly the it's not as far-fetched that you could quit your day job. So I was like, you know, not going to just be stupid. So I kept building up the backlist. And then, you know, it's okay, but I also have to add on to it, you know, insurance and you know, the uncertainty of not having biweekly paychecks. But I kind of hit a point where I was like, I 
genuinely genuinely believe that with those 40 hours going to my writing career instead of my desk job, I could make this happen. Right. And, you know, built, I did it responsibly. I, you know, it wasn't one of those, you know, I just threw everything away and said, I'm going to make this happen. Driving it off was the cliff, let, not, not checking yeah. if there's water or jagged edges down there. Yeah. You, 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 you pick the perfect spots yeah, it that you was, feel comfortable with. Let's make sure that we've got a decent amount of savings built up just in case it doesn't work right away. And then I quit my day job and have not at this point had to go back. So did you write like a quirky letter to them at that moment? Or was it like, I'm making enough money as an author. See ya kind of moment. Uh, Belle wants to uh, prep her resignation letter is why she's asking that. <laughs> she's blushing right now horribly and looking every direction but at me. But so, Guilty. you know, I mean, it depends. I, how loyal was the job? I, I realized it the, was a perfect job, but. The concept was if I have to slink back, I don't want to burn any bridges. Mm-hmm. So it was not as bitter as it might have been because I figured if in two years I'm you know about to be evicted and end up on the streets I want to be able to crawl back and say please take me back so yeah I left open the potential for completely humiliating myself and just saying "I, I made a mistake what take me back I figured the satisfaction of screw you guys would not be worth you know I like I at least have that backup plan, which I hope to never have to use. No, I, and I that's the I, exact thought I have. Like, I love my job because I'm a typesetter, so I get to work with books. How cool is that? I'm an author and I work with books for my day job. Not many of us are so fortunate, but uh, I still, like, I guess I want to leave with gusto. I think Val's <laughs> going to end up writing two letters, the letter that she wants to send <laughs> And the letter that she actually ends up sending. Um, so, Jeff, you've been so you stopped in 2016. Is that correct? And you've been a full time author for the past four years. And do I have the yep. dates right? I believe that's correct. That sounds right. Okay. I listened when he. I, I've gotten the she opportunity was to. You. Yeah. You didn't no, see I, in the I'm bushes. his number one fan. He doesn't know that, but I am his number one fan. Was that you in the red shirt? Yes. No. No. Was that you in the red shirt? I'm going to kill you, Val. So um, you are very fortunate, too. I just want to touch on this a little bit. Your wife does a lot of your covers, correct? Uh, She does all of the self-published covers, yes. Yes. So that helps a lot. They're they're amazing covers. And she is a cover artist, correct? Yes. Yes, and her name is Lynn Hansen. Lynn Hansen, com. Yes. Oh, yes. Yes. We're gonna Shameless we'll, we'll add that me. too, just so people can have that. Do you think that um, uh, when when you're devising your covers, do you do you have a lot? Do you feel like a lot of input? Do you want a lot of input? I know it's your wife, but I mean, covers are kind of an interesting thing because as much as your content can be great, especially for new people finding you, it's the cover that tends to grab them, even online. Do you do you put like, hey, I want to have a rabid bear on my cover? This is an actual cover, but um, <laughs> <laughs> how do you feel about that? It's actually pretty rare that the cover idea came from me. Ferocious is one rare example where I said, you know, I think I want a zombie bear on. It's like a zombie bear. That's going to be awesome. But for the most part, it's 
so what do you want on the cover? I don't, I don't know. And I'll kind of fumble through some bad ideas and she'll say, all right, fine, send me the book. And then she'll try to come up with stuff. And so I would say probably nine times out of 10, the cover idea is completely hers with me maybe making some minor suggestions, but I'm not one of those authors who's actually, you know, I can see the cover in my mind. I know exactly what it should be. I usually, you know, sometimes I'll have an idea. Sometimes I won't, but generally it's like, no, I'll leave it to the covers and not just because it's my wife. Cause you know, when I work with other publishers, I kind of take the same approach of, here are some vague ideas, but whatever you want to do is probably better than what I would have come up with. You know, and it's it's interesting you say that. We have to wrap up in a couple of minutes um, for this part of the podcast. But it's interesting you say that because I think a lot of times authors can get fixated on the covers, but not with the marketing viewpoint in mind. Yeah. Because the cover is, you know, a lot of people will um, like go, no, the guy has blonde hair and blue eyes and the girl's a redhead in the book. Or, no, I want this, um, you know, creature it's a nobody, romance, but no naked dude, please. Yeah, exactly. But nobody looks at the cover, reads the book, and goes back and goes, this bear is not the same bear he describes in the book. Like, <laughs> nobody does but, that. They they buy the book because they like the cover and then read the story. But nobody goes back and goes, this cover doesn't match the story, I think. Right. Which, you that's a good example because in Ferocious, the eyes of the zombies, are the zombie animals are described as bloodshot. And she wanted to do it as white. And I'm like, do it as white. That's a better image. People aren't going to, you know, I want my money back. That, these eyes are not what were described. <laughs> I but want yeah. shot eyes. This, this is not the same bear. This is not Give the me same. a bear. <laughs> but yeah, a lot of times my feedback will just be, this needs to look scary. So for one of my recent books, Clowns versus Spiders, that is pure horror comedy. It's as funny as it is scary, but I said, make it scary. Don't don't focus on the clown element. Focus on making it look like a horror novel because it won't sell if it looks like a goofy clown novel. Yeah, just right. for the record, my best friend in the entire universe is terrified of both clowns and spiders. So the second that went out, I got her a copy. <laughs> intentionally because so you're a good friend yeah great, i was like you know friend. i'm gonna be that asshole and here you go happy birthday <laughs> i don't think she's touched it yet she loves horror she's eventually gonna do it but those are her two things that scare the crap out of her okay so we have come to the end of this amazing podcast jeff shameless self-promotion time where do your fans find you www.jeffstrand.com and that has links to Twitter, Facebook, and every place else you can find me. And you also have a huge author page on, for instance, Amazon or the other um, book places. So you can just find – you have so many books. Just look up Jeff Strand. You'll find him. And obviously he has some series, but he has a lot of standalone. So the first one that grabs you, go for it and purchase it. Tell him what Drinking With Authors sent you. Yes, yes. <laughs> And you have an amazing guest. Thank you very much again. Thank this you. is Erica Lance with Valerie Willis who? and no. Jeff Strand. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> what was that? Were you starting the podcast again? Oh my God! This is no why we whiskey. can't have nice things. That was the dry run. Now we're going to do the real one. <laughs> yeah, we're going to start all over. Okay, guys. Well, thank you out there for listening, and we'll talk to you next time. <laughs>